That's all. I was waiting for more. Today is Monday, August 7th, 2023. Time for episode... Um, well... Well, and I had a bunch of notes set up for the the kickoff of bringing Nurse Claire back to the podcast after our hiatus. So I didn't really have anything <laughs> lined up to talk about specifically just with you tonight. Uh, Nurse Claire is not available right now, so we'll have to record that one later. Uh, I started going through my inbox and finding look, looking for emails that I know I had marked that we wanted to talk about on the podcast. And some of these are entire uh, shows that we need to talk about separately. And uh, I need to go back through my notes on that. So me being lazy and waiting to the last minute, this, this doesn't uh, bode well. So I was going through my other uh, news items I had bookmarked, and I found one that we never talked about before. Even though this is from March, I think you'll find this one kind of funny. The headline, I mean, it's, there's nothing funny about who's who's involved in this, just just the name in question. We've, we've talked about Pornhub before. It's a, I, mm-hmm. I, I think they're the largest pornographic website in the world uh, by business volume. Yes, and you know what they did? They um, when the when the Corona scam started in uh, in March of 2020. Oh, I in remember their this extreme charity. They um, opened up all of their content, including apparently all the really hideous stuff that people pay big bucks to see um, to, to Italy. And they said, "Well, if if you're all going to be under house arrest." Our act of tremendous charity towards the poor, suffering people of Italy who are who are under house arrest is that you get free, unlimited access to um, 100% of the content on Pornhub. Here's this millstone. Why don't you tie it around your neck and see how it fits? Exactly, and I think that just a tremendous number of Italians were made into full-fledged pornography addicts and and you know psycho psychosexually crippled by that maneuver when that happened it's uh it's a terrible thing absolutely a terrible thing but then again of all the topics we've talked about in the past when it comes to rome and all of the deviants going on there i don't know that that would have really moved the meter much there but with the the new story that i, I had uh, highlighted was Pornhub was acquired by a canadian private equity firm yet i love the name of the of the firm ethical capital partners you gotta be kidding me. It's just, it's the, it's the nerve of these people, you know, then it's, it's happening every day. The headlines just keep jumping out at you that we're to the point now where they know that we know. And so now they're just rubbing everybody's faces and everything. They're not even trying to hide most of their crimes anymore. So now it's just it's just a matter of of taunting. And I've I've written at length about this with regards to um, diabolical narcissism, both on the macro level and on the micro level. I mean, this could be going on within a household where the gaslighting and the taunting and for a, a lot of times for diabolical narcissists, especially macro level psychopaths, well, but, but I, it's 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 across the board. It's microdynamic and and macrodynamic. Um, they they get more satisfaction with the getting away with it and watching and studying the people around them, let letting them get away with things than the actual commissions of the crimes in real time themselves. The commissions of the crimes in real time are just a means to the end of the of the sitting and studying their victims 
and either the victims being helpless to do anything about it or the victims getting that kind of weird Stockholm syndrome where they start just defending anything and everything that, um, that the narcissist psychopath does. Um, they get more of a kick and more of a rush out of that, out of being defended and having these willing thralls who just go along with all of all of their crimes and even try to try to justify all of their crimes. If you want to see like one of the best examples of this, um, there's a website which probably a lot of the readership have probably see, seen links to by now, especially if you read Canon 212, and it's called the the blog is called where peter is as in where peter is there is the church and it's it's um it's these super super effeminate guys whose entire reason for being is to defend and justify absolutely everything that bergoglio anti-pope bergoglio says and does and you know, if you read canon 212 frank walker is so funny <laughs> And a lot of people and a lot of people in Rome get a really good laugh out of this because whenever Frank Walker makes a link to this blog, Where Is Peter? He calls it, uh, Where Peter Is? He calls it, Where Is Peter? Question <laughs> mark. And everybody gets a good chuckle out of that. But the, the whole that setup, is a textbook. I was going to say the whole setup sounds kind of like it's a Saturday Night Live gag, except they're being serious. Yeah, except they're being serious. And you read some of this stuff, and it is, it is so bad that you're like, N nobody, nobody can be this stupid. Nobody can be this far gone. But, oh, oh, they are. They are. And so it's it's one of those things, I've, I've said this multiple times, but I just, I don't like anything that involves watching people embarrass themselves. I mean, when you get to a point that you know that someone is you know not contributive not to be taken seriously or even to a certain extent is the enemy like like for example with biden a lot of the video clips of, of biden that come across i don't i don't watch them because a he has he has terrible dementia and even as as evil and luciferian and satanic as he is i, I just can't enjoy i cannot enjoy watching someone with dementia humiliate themselves um clips of harris i i shouldn't say her name because her name is her first name is the name of a demon i took a time code i'm gonna bleep it you're gonna bleep it very good excellent driving the point home to the listenership don't even say her name um the the uh, putative fake vice president that woman um i don't watch any of the clips of her it's just it's it, it's painful to watch other people embarrass and humiliate themselves, even when it's the enemy, even when it's the enemy. And so, you know, you, I don't, I don't read any of the stuff on the Where Is Peter blog because it's just, it's just horrifically embarrassing what these men are doing and just how pathetic they are, um, just grovelingly justifying every word of heresy and every sado-friendly word and deed and act that anti-Pope Bergoglio does, and thinking that they're, they're admirable and they're doing the world some favor, 
I, I don't know, maybe that's being charitable. Maybe they're, they are straight up infiltrators. Another one who, um, who I can't, who I cannot read anymore. And God bless non-Venny Mark, because non-Venny Mark is kind of the one who, uh, wades through and reads all this, reads all this guy's bilge is that pathetic, um, what's his name? Stephen O'Reilly guy. Remember when Dr. Matza went on, um, Timothy Gordon's, uh, show or podcast or whatever you call it and did a debate with that guy is his name was Stephen O'Reilly and his, his phone kept ringing and it was the, I dream of genie ringtone. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, rem I remember this now. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. It was, it was pathetic. The guy is so pathetic and it's, but the thing with him, the reason why I mentioned in the world word infiltrator kind of brought him to mind, the guy is career CIA and he's open about it. He's a career CIA agent. And you know, a few years ago, I would have said, uh, yeah, let, let's not, let's not be going and putting on our tinfoil hat and looking for conspiracies where probably where none probably exist, but uh, knowing what we now know about the three-letter intelligence agencies declaring openly in, mem in memos, declaring war on the Catholic Church, and openly in memos admitting that they are sending infiltrators into especially trad communities. And you've got this guy who's... <laughs> It, it, everything he writes is so embarrassingly bad and obtuse. And he, I mean, he lays out all of our, evide our, our evidence and then his entire grand intellectual, um, grand intellectual plan, I guess, is to lay all of our argumentation out and then say, oh, no, that's just silly. I mean, that, that's really the, the, the depth of, of, anything that he writes it's and it's it's embarrassing and so poor poor non-venny mark when this guy comes out with whatever non-venny mark is the one who is tasked or has taken let me say this he has voluntarily taken on the burden of reading this crap and he just comes back every time he's like you guys i just i can't believe that this guy is dumb enough to think that he's that he's making any sort of argumentation or contribution and a lot of times he's making our points for us and yeah it's 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 embarrassing you don't like you shouldn't enjoy watching other people embarrass themselves and i remember when this this first came to the forefront of my mind is like 20 plus years ago when american idol first started and if you remember i don't know if that if that's even still on i tv and all that who I knows i think it but, is actually um, it, if if not is it? if not in the same name there's um simon cowell is still doing this stuff and he was the big personality behind american yes. idol and he's gone on to do other shows as well x factor and whatnot and there are some pretty entertaining clips on youtube of, of some of the auditions and whatnot but i never really got into it well and there's another one speaking of simon cowell uh, the, the last time i saw a picture of him he had completely mutilated his face with plastic surgery again red flag up the pole weird super creepy wake up in the morning go look in the mirror and say i need to pay somebody tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to cut on my face 
dude, something is way off. But anyway, the point about the first the first third of the season of of American Idol, if I remember, is them showing clips of the auditions that they go around to big cities and hold. And it's it's about 50-50. It's half people who are really good singers and, and get past and say, oh, congratulations, you get to go to Los Angeles or wherever it is. And and um, here's your golden ticket or whatever it is that they say. And But the other half of it is people who are humiliating themselves and don't know that they're humiliating themselves. Some of them you can tell are, um, are mildly intellectually disabled. Some of them are more than mildly intellectually disabled. And that whole notion of watching people humiliate themselves as entertainment is is really really unhealthy and um i hope i never get to the point where i'm so desensitized and so lacking in just in just fraternal charity that i'm one of those people who likes to sit and watch people even my enemies even my enemies humiliate themselves it's um I think it's a good a good litmus test, and it's a good thing for you to keep an eye on in terms of yourself. Yeah, you definitely have to have humility, and I think I sent you the um, uh, photos of, of the readings before the tenth uh, Sunday after Pentecost. It's all about humility. That's the readings out of the out of the um, uh, what is it? The priests read every week. I'm not a religious, so I don't have the name off the top of my head. The breviary. The divine office. The breviary. Yeah. So the, mm -hmm. the, the, the readings are, are throughout the week are, are, are uh, on the topic of humility. And, and the long story short is that not, we, none of us can do anything good unless it comes through, through the power of the Holy Ghost. Uh, the the mm -hmm. analogy that's used is uh, the Holy Ghost is, is the power that allows us to do things. Uh, our, our, abil our cooperation with it, it's like, a, it's like a sailboat. The sailboat on its own can't move, but it can capture the wind. And, and the wind mm -hmm. is there, and that's what actually causes the motion. So, so to the, to the degree that you cooperate with the wind, I mean, you, I guess you could be an idiot sailor and not put your sail up at all, and that's not going to do you any, do you any good. Or you can be pretty pretty. Well, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't that be an analogous to um, living outside of the state of grace? Is that you don't even have any fabric hoisted? You're just there's just nothing there's nothing there. If you're if you're not in the state of grace, how how do you even catch any? any wind you know I, I would say the analogy is that you've cut down your masts and thrown your sails overboard at that point <laughs> yeah there you go cut down the mast too yep i mean yep. If, if you're in a state of grace and you like watching american idol then you have still have the mast you still have the sails you're just not using them mm -hmm. indeed which talking about uh you mentioned stephen o'reilly uh, and um he, he loves to comment on things that that uh, dr mazza does and dr mazza just had a video that came out recently talking about uh, fatima demons and aliens and we're gonna put a link to that in the show notes get the view count up on that for well it's it's an awesome video anyway well it's i think it's 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 sitting at the top I, it's right now as this is being recorded it's a sticky post that's sitting at the top of my blog because um dr mazza has a couple of courses coming up and is um accepting enrollments for those so Whenever he has a new new course coming up, he gets a sticky post because he's just the best. Absolutely, and he loves uh, Godfather references. And I didn't have this ready for my notes because I didn't think this would be an item to come up. But in the last week or so, I, I sent him a link to a, a uh, video on, on from YouTube. Somebody who does 
just deep film analysis and and also study of, of mm-hmm. Mario Puzo's book and and goes behind the scenes of, of how this all happened how was it that that the the Corleone family even was able to be in a position to get to power since they were they were the weakest of the five families when when things really started and uh I was kind of surprised that that, uh, he, that the response I got from him was, "Wow, this is good. I hadn't seen this one before." I was like, "Oh, cool! I found something about the Godfather that Dr. Mazza hasn't seen yet." So, indeed, indeed. <laughs> yep, he loves him some Godfather, and um, he's just he's the king of pop culture references, and and we're all about the same age, and so we grew up listening to the same the same pop music. So I mean, if you if you need a, a pop culture reference or an '80s pop music reference, man, Dr. Motz is all over it. And while we are talking about um, the Godfather, somebody who claims to be a father, who's the um, I, I think he stopped saying he's he's the successor of Peter, which is good because he's not. But now he's calling himself the successor of Christ. The of course we're talking about the chief pervert in white. What is this nonsense he was saying? If when you look at me, you see Jesus. Yeah, I think he was at World Youth Day in um, Portugal, which is an abomination and should never have been started, and should absolutely be abolished and should never be done again. It's it's horrible, and there's horror stories about you can imagine what goes on. Um, I did see one video clip of it, it was. It was at the the main stage there where they were set up and there's, you know, all these kids and there's all these bishops there and in mitres and there's a what appears to be a priest. The guy the guy is in a black clerical shirt and and a and a collar and he's standing behind he's DJing and it's the most satanic, awful thumping you know that horrible like club techno music and that's what was going on there and you know the dj guy is dancing and apparently some of the bishops are dancing because you know (laughs) get get ready cue up your cue up your uh your sound effect there super nerd and now ladies and gentlemen the moment you've all been waiting for the gay stuff God bless you, Adam Curry. God bless you. Yeah, I just, I, he did that on this last Sunday show. And I immediately took a note of the times. Like, I got to clip that one because it, it plays so well with a lot of the stuff we talk about. And it also plays well with the fact we've got a lot of, we're, we're getting more and more listeners, uh, not only listeners of this show listening to No Agenda, but because there have been more and more Barnhart donations, we're getting more listeners now from No Agenda coming here, which is kind of interesting. But th- yes. go on. <laughs> Welcome all. <laughs> Welcome to our strange little corner of the podcast universe. <laughs> I didn't mean to pull a Kara Swisher and interrupt you and say, but go on. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it's the World Youth Day thing. You put a bunch of kids together. Everybody's very, very poorly catechized, if catechized at all. And let's be honest, the vast majority of the clerics that are running around the things like that are are homosexual themselves. Because remember, it's it's uh, realistically estimated that at this point, among the Novus Ordo clergy, north of 80% of them are sodomites or at minimum same-sex attracted. And um, oh, and among the bishops, it's in the it's probably in the high 90s by now. Um, so you can only imagine 
what's going on when you get a bunch of kids who are poorly catechized and you've got these um, homosexual priests running around and and that's your influence and then they're they're playing this thumping and it's it's absolutely true that that dance techno music with that driving deep bass boom 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 it sounds hellish it sounds like it's from the pit of hell and it is the purpose of it is to incite lust in in physically to incite lust and so you can only imagine what goes on at, at those things and i've heard i've heard horror stories for years going back decades of all of these world youth day situations where you get a bunch of young kids together and there's going to be a bunch of fornication um and it's not just world youth day it's it's also like for example what's the big conservative conference they have the cpac conference oh, i was gonna say usccb <laughs> yeah <laughs> the cpac conference um that goes on every year is just they they set up in these convention centers in these hotels and it's all supposed to be young conservatives you know young young conservative operatives working in washington dc working in the working in the political sphere it's such a den of fornication that they put ginormous punch bowls filled with condoms out on every floor of the hotel because it's it's an absolute orgy of both heterosexual and homosexual um homosexual sex and, and uh, excuse me heterosexual sex fornication and homosexual sodomy uh it's both it's these things are just awful i would i would be very very hesitant to send there's two things i would i would never send or or recommend that anyone go to and that's anything that's today marketed as for the youth um no we don't we don't need that it's bad news and the whole business of segregating youth from from older people that's not the way culture used to be the really the first time all of this segregation of um youth from adults like cultural segregation it, it started concurrent with the advent of rock and roll music in the the mid-1950s if you go before elvis which is, I think Elvis first broke in late 1954, early 1955. Before that, parents and children all listened to the same music. So they're all listening to Sinatra. They're all listening to, who else are the great, you know, vocalists of the late 40s and early 50s? Perry Como. Um, you know, that transcended. Everybody was listening to the same music. Marty Robbins. Adults and children culturally they were on the same page as each other this whole notion that adolescents had this completely segregated totally separate um cultural milieu unto themselves that's unheard of until the middle of the 20th century and so i would never send a young person to anything that was specifically marketed at for youth especially with what's going on today. I mean, I, I just sit and marvel. Who, who are these parents? You look at what's going on in the infiltration of the church. There's sodomites everywhere. There's sex abuse of, of teenagers and young adults everywhere by, by the clergy. It's just, it's an absolute nightmare. And you think it's a good idea 
Oh, and, and not to mention all the, you know, just the sexual degeneracy in, in the culture itself. You think it's a good idea to send your teenagers to the other side of the world? I mean, where was this one? Portugal. Okay, so you're going to send your teenagers and, and they're being chaperoned by men who are almost certainly homosexual and the the chaperone females that are hanging around things like that are almost certainly going to be you know leaning towards feminist and all of that <laughs> what what are you thinking and the other thing I've, I've said for years is like me personally i would periodically be asked to join you know a women's group of xyz or you know, women in ag, women in this, women in that, no way. I would never join anything that was a quote unquote women's group. No thanks, not interested, just not interested. So um, there you go. I'm, <laughs> I'm exclusionary and discriminating. And if you're a brand new listener to the podcast and didn't catch the ag reference, before Anne became Catholic and became a podcaster, she was a commodities trader. And apparently a pretty good one at that. I mean, I actually, I don't know why I said it that way. She was a good, good commodities trader. I'm, and you tell how good of a trader you were. I'm just trying to fill, fill uh, space here, but uh, that, that was your background. And, and I imagine that's primarily a man, a male dominated. Very much so. Yes. It wasn't so much that I was a trader. I owned all of my clientele were people who owned cattle and grain. They were ranchers and farmers. And so we weren't speculating in the markets. We were doing exactly the opposite. We were using the futures markets as risk management and actual forward delivery contracts. And my real expertise is in um, cash cattle marketing. So if you have actual cattle on the hoof grazing out on a, in a field somewhere, and you need to know what you need to be doing with those cattle and when and how to replace them so that you make money, I'm quite expert in that and have a 16-hour DVD set that um, is still selling. It still sells. And it's, uh, I have to say, it's its quality, quality content. So that was the thrust of my career. That was the one we nicknamed the 16-hour MBA. Yes, I had a couple come who had diversified holdings. They were out of Wisconsin. They had a diversified family business and their primary business was they owned um car dealerships but they also had you know they also had land and they they ran cattle and they um, raised crops up in wisconsin and so this is a pretty wealthy family so they had paid to go to a um harvard business school summer summer intensive mini course um for business owners and they went to that and they paid a lot of money to go to that and they were there i think the, it was four weeks, six weeks. I mean, it was a, it was a thing. It was a, it was a massive commitment to go to this thing. And then after that, um, you know, a few months after that, they came, I, I did a school in Wisconsin and they came to the school and um, it was a couple, middle-aged couple. And they came up to me during the first break, the first coffee break. So two and a half hours in. And she said, I've learned more in the first two hours, two and a half hours of you just standing here lecturing that I learned in the entire Harvard Business School mini course that we took. I've got, I've got pages and pages of notes of things that we can go home and start doing immediately. And we were only two and a half hours in to the, to the 16 hour curriculum. So 
that was kind of the um, <laughs> better better than Harvard Business School <laughs> compliment, which um, very flattering, but at the same time, sadly, not entirely surprising because there's not much good going on in mainstream academia, and certainly not anything involved with any of the um, any of the Ivy League schools or anything like that. And remember look at all of the suicidal things that are going on that people are doing in business today, the incompetence, and realize that the vast majority of people now have these quote-unquote MBAs from Wharton and, you know, Harvard and all these other places. It's to the point now that an MBA, to my mind, has has no value at all. Um, they, it used to mean something. I'm sure decades ago, a master's of business administration was rigorous and actually meant something. Today, I don't think it is. And I've actually heard people say that they've they've paid the big bucks for Ivy League, Ivy League MBAs. The only reason they did it was for the networking. It, they had no intention of learning anything or or acquiring any skills that were applicable or useful. It was just purely to get in and to get networked with you know other people who are running in in the sort of circles of people who have the money to drop on on um, ivy league mbas so surprising but not surprising that's exactly what i was going to say is that in, when it comes to things like law and, and business you don't go to these top end schools to learn uh you go to these top end schools to network now they yeah. might they might be pretty good I, i've heard that the ivy league computer science programs are pretty good so you might actually go there to learn but there's also a pretty good amount of networking going on there as well. I don't know if I had, if I had it to do over again if, and, and where I was going to go to school for computer science. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. It wouldn't be Ivy League. It wouldn't be where I went to school. Um, maybe Carnegie Mellon. That they always had a good one. But then again, it, it's it's one of those things you need to look to see what where can you go to actually learn something. Yeah, and you know, coding and computer science. That that. I mean, I would call that a hard science, wouldn't you? Uh, some people call it hard, <laughs> and I don't—I don't mean difficult. I mean it's a—it's a—it's an actual thing. I mean, you have to learn this language. You have to learn how computers work. You have to—you have to know how to do an actual thing. Whereas, uh, an MBA is just theoretical praxis that may or may not work. I mean, think of what they've been teaching people in MBAs, you know, for for decades is a oh leverage and you know you gotta you gotta go borrow money and oh look how low interest rates are low. Remember, interest rates basically went to zero at the very very end of of George W. Bush right before the Obama usurpation. Interest rates went to zero, and so all of these people were absolutely convinced with all of these MBAs that you're you're a stupid idiot if you don't go borrow every cent that you possibly can. And then if you if you do catch a wave and you do get some sort of an equity appreciation, why you take every bit of that equity and you go back to the bank and you re-leverage that and you and you leverage yourself to the gills. The the notion of equity capture and equity building has been has been essentially laughed at laughed at in the West for decades. Well, why would you do that? Look how cheap this money is. Eh, it, 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 the, 
the most expensive money is the cheap money sometimes and and there's zero comprehension or understanding of this there's zero comprehension of understanding why in the world you would want to have not not only a strong equity position but maybe even a full 100 percent equity position oh that that that'll make those people's heads explode they can't they can't even begin to understand why anyone would, would even attempt that or want that. And it's it's incredibly sad. Did you fall off your chair? Did I fall off my chair? <laughs> your audio went wonky for a second. There was a uh, there was a spider on the wall and I stood up and smushed it and that's what happened. <laughs> well, there's an exhortation. Be manly like Anne and just stand up and kill the darn spider. Don't scream. Absolutely. Don't mess around. I only outweigh it by a factor of probably 10 million. So, you know, not too much to be afraid of. So something I wanted to mention back when you were talking about uh, the Father James Martin DJ or whoever it was, uh, I wanted to yeah. get in a reference to a, a conference. I'll, I'll see if I can find a link to the CDs and put it in the show notes. It was a talk on music and morality by Father Basil Nortz. And he expands on the idea that um, music is somewhat of itself um, neutral. It's how, how it's used. And also what, what the, the appetite of the person is who is consuming it in the same sense that mm-hmm. uh, a bottle of wine, if you enjoy it responsibly and, and with a good pairing, it's, it's just fine. But if, if, it, if you see that as a starting course for two more bottles of wine, then that's a different kind of problem. And the wine isn't the problem. Yeah. You're the problem. But when it comes to music, um, the three components of music correspond um, or, or activate uh, different capabilities of, of the human soul. And remember that that the human being is a composite of, of a immaterial soul and the material body. And the, the pure melody, which is why Gregorian chant is pure melody, that is what corresponds to the highest intellective faculties of the soul. That's that's what will enable enable the soul more easily to raise up to God, which is the whole point of prayer, raise your mind and your heart to God. The melody is more of an emotional thing. Uh, it it, it, it attacks the emotions, or I should say corresponds or, or activates the emotions. The base is directly uh, activating the, the lower nature, the physical nature. And I, I know we put a link in, in the show notes a long time ago. I'll have to find this one again. But uh, the interview with Van Cliburn, when he was being interviewed on the anniversary of him winning the Tchaikovsky Award, and uh, he was referring to the piano as one of the lowest instruments because it's a percussion instrument. Never mind the fact you can get tremendous melody and harmony out of it as well. Of its nature, mm-hmm. it's a it's a uh, it's a percussion instrument, and therefore one of the lowest. And he was contrasting this to the ability to sing. He's a big fan of opera, and of course, opera is incredibly powerful. The, the human voice and the ability to uh, convey emotion and intellectual storytelling as well, just through melody and and harmony too, depending on what the story is. I mean, I'll, I'll try to find this this uh, a link to this Father Basil Nortz um, uh, talk. It might even be online at this point. But I wanted to I wanted to add that in because you talked about you know the the DJ music and the thumping bass and and how it's evil. It's like yeah, that's evil for a reason because it activates uh, the lower nature, which is not it's already not a problem with with uh, people who are struggling with original sin or have original sin, which is all of us listening. Um, mm-hmm. it, we have disordered natures, so the music can exacerbate a problem. Exacerbate. That's the word. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it, it makes it a lot easier to fall into sin, I guess is the, the better way to put it. Yep. And um, um, we have to mention, as we always do, we've mentioned Van Clyburn several times. He was a sodomite, so we acknowledge that Van Clyburn was a sodomite. Um, 
but it's absolutely true. So when you when you go into a, a, a Catholic church, a Novus Ordo parish, and there's a piano there, red flag right off the bat. Now, is it is it the biggest red flag in the world? No, it's not the biggest red flag in the world, but it is a red flag. There, there is not supposed to be piano anywhere having anything to do with Catholic liturgy because of what Supernerd just said. It's a percussion instrument. Hammers hitting strings, that is a percussion instrument. The organ is licit because the organ is specifically built to mimic the human voice with you know the air going through the pipes and vibrating in exactly the same way that air goes through our pipe and vibrates our um, our vocal cords. And that's that's the the organ's job is to try to is to mimic the human voice. So organ is licit, but piano is not. So if you have a Novus Ordo parish and there's piano music being played, you know right off the bat that there's there's very poor formation. And at this point, I think that's probably almost completely across the board in Novus Ordo parishes that I doubt. I doubt the priest, I doubt the average Novus Ordo priest, if you if you walked up and, and asked him about this, would have any idea what you were talking about. Because their formation is is so, so abysmal. All their formation really is anymore at this point in the Novus Ordo seminaries is um is just pop psychology. It's really just pop psychology. And they're they are taught um heresy. And the, it's insidious. They they justify it. Like if you go to the Gregorianum in, in Rome, the Pontifical Gregorian University, which is Jesuit run, um, it's a it's a hive of scum and villainy. Um, it needs to be shut down, completely liquidated. And um, Father Zulsdorf jokes that um, when <laughs> when Rome is reconquered, if you've ever been to Rome um, as a tourist up on the hill. It's called the Janiculum Hill, and it's the hill that's kind of sitting up next to the Vatican and kind of looking down onto the Vatican. Um, the Italian Republic, every day at noon exactly, shoots a, um, you know, not a cannonball, obviously, but uh, a cannon charge is is shot every day at noon. And, you know, the sound of this thing echoes all over all over the city and you know you're walking around you'll be walking around you know in in the city center of rome and you'll hear boom and you'll say oh it's noon and then you if you're if you're a good person you remember to say the angelus at that point but the joke that father zulsdorf makes is that he's gonna actually set up a mortar up there on that hill where that cannon is right now and he's gonna launch a mortar every day at noon and it's gonna hit the it's going to hit the the greg the gregorianum and just every day that the crater the smoking crater of the gregorianum will just get deeper and deeper and deeper because the place just needs to be ground to dust but they teach seminarians heresy and they winkingly say well you know we need to study this so that they they know about it and know what the arguments are but what they're doing is they're they're teaching heresies that they actually do believe in, and they're infecting the minds of seminarians with this stuff. There are courses at the Gregorianum where you're you're being tested on more on heretical positions than than you are on actual Catholic orthodoxy, and it's like oh well you know we have to introduce it so that they know about it. 
but that's not it. They're intentionally, they're intentionally infecting um, the minds of seminarians with this stuff. And then by the time they get out of there, um, they're, they're just fried. And sadly, a lot of them were, were fried walking in the door because homosexuality is basically positively selected for, oh, here, here's something that broke in, in news earlier this week or within the week. Um, anti-Pope Bergoglio, <laughs> presumably through his, his ghostwriter, Tucho Fernandez, the guy, uh, the Argentinian who wrote literally as a priest, wrote a book called Heal Me With Your Mouth, The Art of Kissing, which is full of absolutely satanic homoerotic poetry and essays about kissing that this guy wrote as a priest with the intention of distributing it to children and young people, okay? He's very open about this. So um, he, he's oftentimes referred to in the, in the Catholic press as Kissy, uh, Kissy Fernandez, but his, his, uh, his name is uh, Victor, Victor, Victor Emmanuel Fernandez, I think, but he goes, his nickname is Tucho. So he's Tucho Fernandez. He's anti-Pope Bergoglio's ghostwriter, um, raging, raging sodomite, and um, anti-Pope Bergoglio, who's kind of, um, it's kind of widely acknowledged that he's in the Hitler in the bunker in April of 45 phase, where now he's just trying, he's trying to destroy, as Hitler was trying to destroy Germany um, at the very end, uh, that's kind of where Bergoglio is because he's probably not too much longer for this world and he knows it and he's, and Pope Benedict is dead. Pope Benedict died on December 31st. And so now Bergoglio's plan is just do as much damage as he possibly can. So one of the jokes around, around Rome up until just literally a few weeks ago was, well, you know, if, if Bergoglio really wanted to, really wanted to hurt the church, he'd make, uh, he'd make, Tucho Fernandez, Mr. Kiss Me With Your Mouth Open, uh, he, he would make him the head of the CDF. The CDF is the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. And it's kind of, uh, it's, it's a debate about who is, who is considered to be the quote-unquote number two or was considered to be the number two when, you know, the Catholic Church was not completely, totally massively infiltrated and overrun as it is now when it was still completely catholic yeah it's still yeah exactly and you know the thing that bergoglio is the head of is the anti-church okay and he is an anti-pope he is the he's the puppet front of the anti-church but there was a debate between who is the number two in the church next to of course the pope and that would be either the head of the cdf the head for the congregation for the doctrine of the faith or the secretary of state and, you know, that was kind of the, the power debate, who would be number two. So up until literally a few weeks ago, the joke would be, well, well, if, if Bergoglio was really serious and wanted to do complete and total damage and really, and really burn the whole thing to the ground, he'd make Tucho Fernandez the head of the CDF and everybody would laugh because it was so preposterous. And sure enough, anti-Pope Bergoglio a few weeks ago announced that Tucho Fernandez, heal me with your mouth, Kissy, is going to be the head of the CDF. And so Bergoglio was over at World Youth Day, and he gives a, uh, a sermon 
probably written by um, by Fernandez because Fernandez is his primary ghostwriter, and Bergoglio is a slack-jawed, mouth-breathing imbecile. He's 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 very very much. There's many many similarities to Obama. Like Obama is an imbecile. All he could do is read a teleprompter. He had to have all these people writing everything he said because he's just an absolute idiot. Bergoglio is exactly the same way. In fact, I don't know. Um, it would be interesting to do a debate or do a comparison and see who is intrinsically more stupid. Is Barack Obama lower IQ or is Jorge Bergoglio lower IQ? It would be a fascinating horse race. Um, so... Uh, he gives a sermon, Antipope Bergoglio at World Youth Day gives a sermon that says that seminaries should only admit men, quote unquote, with all of their problems, quote unquote, which is dog whistled for gay. And there's that's obvious. Anybody who sees that, who knows anything about what's going on in Rome, when Bergoglio said only only admit men with all of their problems, the with all of their problems is homosexuality, um, and who who can pl who play soccer, and who are going to go out into the peripheries and engage all of the poor youth playing soccer, not dogmatizing. So in other words, what, what Tucho Fernandez and Antipope Bergoglio are saying is please only admit to the seminaries um, hot, young, soccer-playing gay guys who don't actually believe in Catholicism. His, but I'm, I mean, paraphrasing, but not, not taking, not stretching it too far. It's what the man said, um, and that's what they want. You know, and and Tucho Fernandez, like I said, he's a raging, flaming sodomite, and so yeah, I I, I can I can only imagine that he would want um, athletic soccer playing gay young men being exclusively the who don't believe in Catholicism who would be the only ones who are admitted to seminaries because all of those guys use seminaries basically as sodomitical smorgasbords. They just, seminarians are, are, they kind of consider seminarians to be, you know, it, it's, it's almost, and sometimes it is a form of human trafficking. There's a very, there's a lot of um, like Colombian and Central Americans who were on a pipeline and were getting sent to Chicago um, to the seminary there. And it was just, it was quid pro quo. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll get you out of your horrible, collapsing, impoverished Latin American country, and we'll send you right into the middle of the United States. But, you know, when Bishop so-and-so rolls in, you better be, you better be ready to party. You better be down to clown. So um, that, that's what it is. So yeah, making, making the explicit announcement, um, only, only hot young gay guys who don't believe in Catholicism into the seminaries now, please. It shouldn't be too hard to fill the seminaries with that mandate. Well, no, they're all they're all standing empty. That's the point, you know. Um, and they've all been standing empty for a very long time. I, I think the Roman seminary right now has like zero. Uh, Ireland, I mean, the statistics are staggering. Ireland, I can't remember when it was. Like la last year, two years ago, zero ordinations in Ireland. Zero. Ireland. 
Ireland, no priests. I thought it was for the country of Ireland. They had one priest and just of the Irish um, candidates who joined the SSPX, they had two or three. I, I could, maybe it wasn't last year, but it was within the last decade that happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's colleges in Rome and colleges doesn't mean um, in Rome, it doesn't mean like a university, a college is the house where they all live together and it's basically broken up by nationality so there's an english college and a french college and an irish college and and a german college and so on so on and so forth and i think they might have even shut down the irish college i think everybody left it was it was completely gay the the creature that was running it was completely gay and i think just everybody left so Novus Ordo Seminary. I mean, stop and think about it. Who, who would who would enter Novus Ordo Seminary at this point? Okay, nobody who's an actual believing Catholic wants anything to do with it. And then I don't know. There, the taboo against against sodomy and male homosexuality is almost completely gone in the post Christian West. So it's not even as if these guys. Are, are trying to enter into the priesthood to, to conceal their homosexuality or anything like that. There's, there's no reason for them to even try to conceal it. There's no social or societal taboo against sodomy anymore. So that whole dynamic is gone. One might argue that yes, because the Novus Ordo seminaries uh, are so infiltrated and at such a high degree that they would enter into it thinking that, well, yeah, it's going to be party time, you know, and in some places it is like half of the North American college is gay. And yes, it is. It is party time. And so I suppose that there's that, but that even that is, is kind of reduced. And so there's just, there's nobody, nobody is joining. Nobody wants to be a priest unless of course you're talking about uh, the traditional seminaries, which are which the anti-church is actively trying to destroy and suppress, and they've got vocations out their ears. They're having to just keep build and ex building and expanding. And you see these pictures of, you know, ordinations going on and and um, new class entering, and it's they're they've got way more than they can even handle. And of course, that's why the anti-church hates them so much. And is attacking them but um yeah it's 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 war it's happening it's all right in front of us is any of this a surprise nope we should have known and from the night in march of 2013 everybody who was paying the least bit of attention knew if not within a matter of seconds of anti-pope bergoglio walking out on the loggia that uh we were in trouble. We were in deep, deep, deep trouble and that this was going to be bad, even though we didn't. Most people, only a, only a handful, only a few canon lawyers at the time appreciated the fact that Pope Benedict hadn't validly resigned. For the rest of us, it took us a while to figure out and savvy and, and realize what exactly had happened. Um, but from the very beginning, you knew something was terribly 
terribly wrong and it was going to be a disaster. I remember being scoffed at. I remember getting hate mail from Trad saying, because I wrote right away, immediately, within hours of, of Bergoglio's usurpation, like, we're in trouble. This guy is the worst of the worst. This is going to be a disaster. I had Trad sending me hate mail saying, oh, no, he's wonderful. I got such a sense of calm and peace and well-being when I saw him on the television screen. And it's very interesting because nobody, nobody will admit now that they were saying things like that. But if you go back and you look at the blogs and if the Combox threads are still there, you can see it. Even the trad uh, blogs, their comm boxes were uh, in, in March of 2013. Oh, Pope Francis. Oh, I, I got such a, such a wonderful grandfatherly sense from him. Like, you people, read what this man is. Read what he has done. Read the testimony of people on the ground in Argentina who are saying this guy is not Catholic and an arch criminal. What are you talking about? And how, how could you get a sense of peace and calm and well-being when he walks out onto the loggia liturgically naked, not wearing anything, only wearing a white cassock, and the first words out of, out of his mouth are not praise, praise be Jesus Christ. It's buona sera, good evening. That, that's the first thing that you, that you think the Vicar of Christ should greet the world with is Buona Sera, and you, you don't think that maybe something is just slightly wrong here? The first words out, that's if you ever go on vacation to Italy and you go to Mass, at the beginning, usually at the beginning of the, of the sermon when the priest comes down off the altar and if there's a microphone, goes to the microphone, um, the first thing that they say in Italian is praise be Jesus Christ. And then the, the people in the, in the congregation res respond, may he always be praised. Um, and I mean, that's just, that's how you open. The, fir the first thing out of your mouth is praise be Jesus Christ. And Bergoglio didn't mention our Lord once. He didn't mention our Lord at all. Um, it was how could you look at that and say, oh, he's a kind, sweet grandfather. He would, he would slit your throat if he thought he could get away with it. And goodness knows what's, what's going on inside the Vatican. And I've said it before, we'll know we're getting near the end when people start talking about the human sacrifice that is going on inside the Vatican. They have an inexhaustible pipeline of undocumented prostitutes most of them underage, many of them underage. And when I say prostitutes, I'm referring mostly to male prostitutes, of course. All you have to do, if you ever go on vacation to Italy, you go to the train station, you walk out the door, and all those young men that are standing around, hanging around, loitering around train stations are prostitutes. And it's just a smorgasbord. They can go pick up prostitutes. They're undocumented Nobody's going to miss him. Nobody's going to call the cops if Samir, you know, doesn't come home. You know, uh, Samir's quote unquote friends are going to, and, and his phone stops ringing. 
so that his friends, Samir's friends are going to think, oh, good for him. He got a ride to France or he got a ride to Germany or something. Nobody's calling the cops and reporting any of these people missing. So they can, they, it's, they can just go and harvest as many humans for sacrifice as, as they want. And yes, that is going on inside the Vatican. Of course it is. Grow up. I was going to make a joke that maybe that's where Justin Castro got his uh, teammate for Team Barbie, but um, I think he probably sourced that one locally. Oh, I think somebody emailed me and said it's possible that that might be uh, Justin Castro's son, so Fidel's grandson. I don't know. If any any of the Canadian listeners, if you know what I'm talking it's it's on my blog. There's a picture of it that Justin Castro went to the Barbie movie, and he's got his picture taken with a young guy. And Justin Castro just um, filed for civil divorce from his beard wife. And so, and then he's immediately, you know, in pink, having his picture taken with a young guy at this Barbie movie. Any Canadians in the listenership, if you know what Justin Castro's son looks like, and if that's the son, then okay, yeah, but then the son looks super duper duper gay too, if it is in fact his son and Fidel Castro's grandson. So let us know. Let us know, uh, all of you in Kanukistan. Kanukistan, Scandinavia, somewhere up north, yeah. Scandinavia. <laughs> I think, I think uh, Kanukistan is more, more apropos these days. It depends more in Canada. I, I've, heard it, I've heard it said that... Um, Toronto, of course, this is like a 30-year-old joke, that there was three areas of Toronto that there's urban, suburban, and turban. So I, I guess <laughs> it, it depends on where you are. Kanukistan might work, but I, I've heard Scandinavia as well. As, and that was being a, a reference to like the Scandinavian countries being very socialist. Uh, yes, absolutely. I My stomping grounds in Canada was only the prairie provinces. I've never been to Ontario. I've, ne- I've obviously never been to Quebec, but um, nope, it was all Manitoba, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta for me. Those are the only, those were my three provinces because that's where all the cattle are. So, yeah. Makes sense. Back, uh, out where the men are actually manly. Absolutely. And in fact, I think there are, I think there are more Ukrainians in, in Western Canada than there are in Ukraine. Well, the ones manly enough to leave, I guess. Well, yeah, they were, man, talk about you think settling the western part of the United States was was rough. Imagine going up there in that cold. And if you've ever traveled in in Canada in the winter, I have. I did a school. I did a school in Grand Prairie. That's the furthest north I think I've ever been on Earth in my life. And then I did another one, and that like in January. And I did another one. Where did I fly into? I flew into Saskatoon and then drove northeast. Oh, what's the name of that town? There's a there's a pretty good sized town northeast of Sa- of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Yorkton, 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 and did a school like in January in Yorkton. And I mean, it's one of those deals where you're you're driving and you're just you're driving on compact, completely compactified snow slash ice and um when you go to canada all of the parking lots everywhere have um electrical plugs because you plug in you plug in your block heater you have to have a block heater or else the the gasoline will will um congeal and you won't 
be having any any luck with an internal combustion engine that way unless you have it plugged into a block heater man it is rough up there in the winter and yeah all those ukrainians rolled in and and made it happen and again they t they took the breadbasket dynamic that was going on in ukraine and just brought it over to canada and made made the prairie provinces a breadbasket too hmm. i think you got me beat i i was in winnipeg for christmas and new year's probably 23 years ago or so and I thought that was pretty darn cold. But yeah, that, that takes some sturdy people. But that's right on the border. Winnipeg's right on the border, basically. It's still, it's still Canada. Look, look at a map of Canada and look how tall north to south those prairie provinces are that Alberta and Saskatchewan and Manitoba are. They're, they're enormous. You can drive north for hours and hours and hours. I think the, the old man who taught me the cattle business, he was in residence in a feedlot in Alberta. And, oh, I can't remember how many hours drive it was from the feed yard if you got on the highway and drove straight south towards, towards the border, which would have been Montana, I believe. I think they were, I want to say they were eight hours an eight-hour drive north of the U.S.-Canada border or something just absolutely astounding like that. And they were running a good-sized feedlot. They were finishing fat cattle year-round out of that feedlot being that far north. Cattle are a gift from God. They're just remarkable creatures. And in that part of the world, very sturdy men who probably don't struggle to kneel and genuflect, I'm guessing. Uh, indeed, indeed. What a segue. Very good. I just, it's just a mini rant, guys. This thing that I've noticed, men today, young men, young, healthy, completely physically sturdy men have no idea how to kneel or to genuflect. I was at mass the other day and there was a man in front of me. And again, this guy was probably, was maybe 35 years old seemed to be completely healthy, didn't have a bum knee or anything like that. Uh, you could tell that, you know, let's just say he wasn't a daily mass goer. You could tell that. But, you know, it comes time to kneel down, to genuflect, to do anything like that. And it's like they don't, they have no idea what to do. And so you see this, it's weird. And, you know, he was not, he wasn't sh shorting. This is a tall guy who's, when he would genuflect, he would he would squat. You know, it was almost like he was half curtsying, half squatting, but because he physically didn't know what to do. And then it, when it was time to kneel for the consecration, to get down on both knees, I'm not kidding you. He squatted down, put his had to put his hands down on the ground, then couldn't figure out what to do with himself physically. And ended up, I'm not kidding you, like sitting back on his haunches, sitting sitting down on his heels, if you understand what I'm saying. He wasn't, he wasn't kneeling up at attention as you're supposed to. He was sitting on his haunches in this in incredibly effeminate way. And he wasn't an effeminate guy. Um, in fact, he was there with his wife. And I believe there, there were a couple of kids there too. He just, he just didn't know how to do it. So little coaching about kneeling and genuflecting first genuflecting um there's a pejorative term for catholics called left footers and then so if you ever hear that you'll know it's it's a non-flattering term for for catholics 
And the reason it's left footers is because when we genuflect to, you know, our Lord in the tabernacle or, you know, when we cross the center axis and there's the tabernacle and you, you genuflect to the tabernacle, or if our Lord is reposed in a side altar for some reason, like for example, if a bishop comes to say mass, then you take our Lord out of the high altar tabernacle and he's reposed to the side. Um, wherever our Lord is, and you genuflect to him, you stick your left foot forward and you touch your right knee to the ground and you think 90 degree angles, everything should be 90 degree angles. So you're completely upright, you stick your left foot forward and then your right foot goes back and you touch your right knee to the ground and when, you're, when your knee is touching the ground, your left leg should be at a 90 degree angle at the knee and then your knee that you're touching to the ground should be basically at a 90 degree angle on a different axis, but it's also at a 90 degree angle behind you. Interesting fun fact, if um, any of us should ever have the opportunity to meet a pope, um, when you meet a pope, you genuflect to him and kiss his ring, but you put your right foot forward and your left foot back because he is the vicar of Christ. He is not, he's obviously not Christ himself. So Christ gets the right knee touches the ground. The Pope gets the left knee touches the ground. So that's genuflecting. And then kneeling, when, when we're kneeling, um, like at the consecration, obviously, or just kneeling in prayer, the posture and the posture of genuflection is a very masculine and militaristic. You're upright and you're, you're ready to receive orders and then you're ready to spring up and go into action. That's why the whole sitting back on your haunches thing, um, especially for men, is, is very effeminate. It's a very effeminate posture because you can't, you can't just pop right up and go carry out the orders that you've been given. Remember what the last words of the Mass are. Ite misa est. Go, the Mass is finished. Go, go and do what? Go spread the gospel to the four corners of the world. Go convert the nations. Go, you've been given, you've been given orders, now go do it. So you're in this very militaristic, masculine ready to go, ready to spring up in action, you're alert, you're receiving orders, and you're, everything is up and you're paying attention, but you're on your knees. So that is the posture, both in genuflection and in kneeling, kneeling in the pew, kneeling at the, at the uh, communion rail, et cetera, et cetera. You're up on those knees, you're, you're completely upright, and again, both of your knees now are, are touching the ground and your feet are behind you at basically a 90 degree angle. So you're ready to go. You have maximum mobility, maximum alertness, maximum readiness um, to use a military term. So there you go. There's your little, there's your little uh, uh, coaching on, on kneeling and genuflecting. And if, if you have been genuflecting on the wrong knee for whatever reason. I mean, don't worry, Jesus doesn't hate you, but you know, I'm just letting you know what, what the convention is and kind of what the thinking behind it is. And also, I always have to say things like this because whenever I talk about anything like this, the email box fills up with, well, I've got a bad knee. Yeah, okay, yes, I understand. If you've got 
a bum knee or bum knees. You do what you can. If you can't kneel, you make a profound bow. If you can't make a profound bow, you make whatever degree of bow you can make. You do whatever you are physically capable of doing. However, if you are an able-bodied person, here is here's how you do it and here's the reason why so please don't send me any emails saying and you're a horrible hateful awful evil person i had to have double knee replacements i can't kneel how dare you if you had double knee replacements then by all means profound bow do whatever you can common sense folks common sense it's it's a rare commodity these days well i mentioned earlier uh, the recapping the, the the point that humans are a composite of body and soul, and mm -hmm. the whole point of genuflecting and kneeling, what what is done to the body affects the soul. What's done to the soul affects the body. When you put yourself in yeah. a position of reverence, you are your body is telling your soul, "Hey, we are putting ourselves in a position of reverence here." It, and it, submission. Yeah. Yeah. It's yep. it's a more complete. It's it's a way for the for the complete uh, person to be liturgically reverent as opposed to just standing mm -hmm. there and recognizing, yeah, I know that's God and, and, and I love him and thank him for everything he's done for me. Yeah. But you're standing there with your hands in your pocket, get on your knees and bow your head. Yep. Exactly. We are body persons. So that's, that sounds like a very modern term. <laughs> it is. It is. That's what they use body persons, but it is accurate. It's theologically accurate. Because this is, this is, you know, I'm a very spiritual person and, and that's the whole, the separation and the disregarding of the body as, as, you know, integral, integral to, to the human person. Then you start getting into all kinds of things where, and this, this is, this heresy cropped up very early in the history of the church within the first few centuries that well the body doesn't matter and if the body doesn't matter then you can do whatever you want with the body <laughs> sixth commandment <laughs> and then you know all hell breaks loose literally so it is absolutely essential that it be acknowledged that we're not we're not just spirits that's what angels are and demons um they are just spirit we are our body and soul and we believe in the resurrection of the dead uh, because you are not fully human you are not at your complete human existence without that body and your soul being being united to the body which is why there is and will be resurrection and yes your body your resurrected body you'll get it back and um wh wherever you end up you'll get it back and um it will be it will be with you we'll we'll all be bodily present somewhere whether it's in heaven or in hell we'll all be bodily present yep the body will either share in the glory of the soul or share in the punishment of the of the soul in, in hell and all the torments exactly. i should say definitely yep. something to think about in, in just the whole idea of not understanding, you know, what is a human being. And by the way, how many, how much craziness could be solved in politics in the world just by having everyone realize what is a human being that, that right yeah. there is, is such a denied basic fact. And then the second one, if we could get everyone to agree on what a human being is, a composite 
creature of body and soul, what's its purpose? And yes. if you can't, I think that's one of the, one of the opening parts of, of Frank Sheed's book, um, Society and Sanity, is that um, people just don't understand what is the purpose of a human being. And if you don't understand yeah. what that is, you've got no business making law or policy that affects other human beings. Because you, exactly. by and definition, you, I think, I'll, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, if you don't understand what, what the purpose of a human being is, you can't make effective policy. It'd be like somebody who has no idea um, left from right, north from south, being a navigator on a ship. Yeah, exactly. And so for any of our new listeners or any of the, uh, maybe some of the no agenda uh, referrals coming over, they're you're probably sitting there listening saying well what what is it what is it are you are you people saying that you know what the meaning of life is oh absolutely the meaning of life is literally the first paragraph in the catholic catechism the meaning the meaning of human life why do we exist is to know love and serve god in this world and be happy with him forever in the next the telos the end the end purpose of man the reason why human beings exist is to be in the beatific vision with God, aka heaven, forever. That's why I exist. That's why you exist. That's why every human being that has ever existed, that is why they were brought into existence, is because that is the, that is the end goal. Now, does everybody end up there? No. Uh, but the possibility is open because... Christ's death on the cross redeemed humanity, which had fallen, um, original sin and all that. So humanity was redeemed by Christ's death on the cross. Salvation, that is eventually getting to heaven or attaining the beatific vision, as we say, um, that is an open question. That is an open question. Salvation is available because we are all redeemed, but re redemption and salvation are two different things. So the question of whether or not you are saved is an open question until the moment you die. So you can die well, and there are people who have deathbed conversions. Uh, there are people who, you know, die having been in the state of grace for quite some time. And there are people who were in the state of grace at some point who might die in a state of mortal sin, unrepentant mortal sin, and that's not good. So the question remains open for everybody until, until you die. So make sure that you're always ready, that you're always uh, well prepared, so to speak, because as we all know, um, death can come as a thief in the night. You never have any idea. So it's not that you walk around macabre obsessing about death, but you should keep death before your eyes daily and acknowledge every day that, you know, it could happen at any time, you know, falling pianos, being hit by a bus, et cetera, et cetera, you know, random attacks on the street, um, if you've been injected with the poison, it's, it's even more, uh, death should be before your eyes every day, because who knows if you're, if there are, if there are clots building up inside of you, who knows if you're going to get turbo cancer, who knows, um, if you've, if you've got heart damage and myocarditis and your heart's going to give out today, if you've had the injections. So yes, keep death before your eyes every day. 
and you mentioned that salvation is an open question and only you can answer that question. Do you, do you want to love God or not? And, and, and ultimately yeah. God doesn't send you to hell. You send yourself to hell. You send you to hell. Yep. It's, it's all a matter of, you know, are, are you going to fulfill your basic uh, mission to know, love and serve God? If you do, then, then when, when um, body and soul separate, the soul will fly to God because that that is what what uh, it desires. May have to make a make, mm-hmm. make a pit stop in purgatory to to purge all all the imperfections. But if if it's free of sin, then it's it it will fly to God. And if you are in the state of moral sin, it, it's the, it's the state of having having the manifestation of God make made known to you and seeing the state of your soul and what you've done in your life. Your soul flees from God. It, it would try to go out out of the universe if it could, but there is someplace yeah. else for it that's that's been built that's been made for it. For those who freely choose to say no to God, and you know, there's a lot of people who are kidding themselves. They're saying, "Well, I love God," but then they're sodomites, or they're fornicators, or they're thieves, or they're this, or they're that, and um, you know. Break, break with our Lord said in the Gospels, if you love me, follow my commandments. It's very, very simple. I mean, he loves you so much. He's telling you, look, he, here's all these things that if you do these things, you are hurting yourself and you're hurting me by doing them. Don't do this, 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 and this. It's a wonderful mercy, isn't it? Isn't it? you know, the, the classic frustration of, you know, like a couple has a fight and one of them says, well, if, if you don't know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you. That's not how God is at all. God's, God's not a manipulative jerk like that. He say, look, okay, you, you've fallen. Here you go. Here's a law. Here's the law. Let's go down the line here. Don't do these things. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not trying to pull the wool over your eyes. Yes, you probably should know not to do these things. Like, for example, sodomy. That's a function of the natural law. Every human being knows perfectly well that that, that doesn't go there in, in the physical sense, right? That doesn't go there. Therefore, you may not do that. Everybody, every human being knows this deep down. You should know better than that. But even if you get... Uh, you know, if you get off off the trail somehow, okay, here's the law explicitly stating you may not do that. That constitutes death of the soul. That is death right there. Don't do that. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. You know, don't engage in idolatry. Don't do all of these things because I love you and I... I want to be clear about this and I'm not trying to trick you or hide anything from you. And so, yeah, if you, if you, there's a lot of, sadly, a lot of Protestants who are, you know, working on multiple marriages and all this kind of stuff or, or themselves have engaged in sexual perversion or now the big phenomenon is they have children or grandchildren who are sex perverts. This is so sad. Um, if you read obituaries, um, I've noticed now that a lot of people, 
And who knows if it's the person who's actually the person who died or if it's the family members who are doing this. But if you read obituaries now, people are listing their children and grandchildren's sodomitical partners in obituaries. If, if you're ratifying all that, again, making everything clear, the, the very end of Romans chapter 1, it says not only, referring to sodomy, not only are the people who do these things worthy of death, people who approve of sodomy are likewise worthy of death. And worthy of death in this, in this context um, is, is primarily referring to the death of the soul by being in a state of mortal sin. Um, if you're, if you're like, so, you know, back circling back to like James Martin and Tucho Fernandez and all these people and anti-Pope Bergoglio, certainly who are, who are pro sodomy, pro sodomy. It says in, in Holy scripture right there, just the ratification of sodomy is, is mortally sinful. It makes you worthy of death. Um, and so, and certainly there are a lot of Protestants, of course, uh, being pro-abortion, something like that. You know, you should know that murdering babies is, is wrong. Natural law tells you that very, very clearly. You have to inculcate yourself and talk yourself into the idea that murdering babies is somehow morally licit. Uh, it's another example. So even if you're, if you're cooperating in this or living a passive life that approves of these sorts of things, um, you're cutting yourself off. You're kidding yourself. And so, you know, you, you die, you go to your particular judgment and, you know, our Lord is going to be standing there saying, how could you have done these things? You said that you loved me, but then your entire life was this just disaster of breaking all of the laws that are so clearly laid out both in the divine law and in the natural law things that i built you with you know built into your intrinsic nature as a human being that you should have known that these things were wrong and at one time you did know that these things were wrong and you see and so you tried to have your cake and eat it too you tried to claim that you love me but at the same time you broke all of my you broke all the commandments and you just kept breaking my heart and breaking my heart and breaking my heart and you died breaking my heart and you're not you were not sorry for any of this at all all right well if you if you want to choose between your you know your six commandment breaking fetish um, or ratifying that your your grandson was a sodomite and you're not willing to to put me first you know me i'm speaking in the voice of our lord here me being god <laughs> god has absolutely every right to to ask that we put him first you know when you you i find people sometimes making the argument that well god's kind of a jerk and he's kind of you know conceited and it's it's me 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 well you know he's god so <laughs> if you if you sit and think about that one for about i don't know seven seconds it doesn't take long just sit and think about that yeah the creator and sustainer of the universe who is infinite love infinite beauty truth itself um yeah he he does have the right to make those kind of demands and no he's not being a jerk when he does make those demands because he is god so 
yeah, I, I, you see, you see atheists and, and agnostics and their arguments and they're just, they're so intellectually shallow, you know, just stop and think about it. God has the right to make demands on us because he is God. So if you, if you die having just completely shredded and disregarded the, the moral rule and, and clearly laid out uh, commandments about the moral life and disregarding the natural law, things that you should have known better anyway, and you die unrepentant of that, how do you think you're going to get through? He's going to say, well, you chose, you chose to, to disregard the sixth commandment, your attachment to adultery, fornication, sodomy, whatever it is, you put that above me. And so therefore, if that's what you want, I'm, I'm not going to force you into anything. You, you may go outside of my presence and you may, you may cling to all of that as you wish. And that state of being outside of the beatific vision forever with no hope of ever getting in, because it's, there has to be a line somewhere. There has to be a line. And for us, it's our death. Um, then that's called hell. That's what hell is. The, the burning, flaming torment is um, primary. The, the primary torment of hell is that you're outside of the beatific vision. You'll never see God and you know you'll never see God. Yeah, it's the pain of loss. It's the pain of loss. And it is said that when you know you you read and, and hear and we all have these conceptions of fire and flames and being tormented. And if you you know if you've ever been over to Europe and seen the great uh, paintings and frescoes of depicting hell and there you know demons poking people and you know pulling on their tongues with with pliers and things like that. Do you, do you know what the theory is as to why that's all allowed to go on? It's a distraction. It's a merciful distraction from the primary pain of hell, which is the pain of loss of the beatific vision. Stop and think about that. I mean, talk about keeping death before your eyes daily. Also, it is extremely spiritually salutary to contemplate hell, what it is, why it exists, why it is the way it is, and if you if you think about it and you're not you know you're not coming at it from a god-hating perspective which most atheists and agnostics are they're they're looking to hate god um if you come at it honestly and openly and you just sit and think about it ironically when you think about hell you realize how much god loves us you say oh that's crazy you're you're and you're making ridiculous bizarre, twisted, contorted arguments. No, I am not. We are free to choose. Love cannot be coerced. We are free to choose. And if you choose not to love him, then there is a domain for you to continue to exist because there's no such thing as soul annihilation. Every human soul, every human being once made exists forever. So in, in a certain sense, everyone is immortal in the sense that your soul exists forever. Um, and there, there has to be a domain for people who freely choose to reject God. And that domain does have to be permanent because if it isn't permanent and there's this lie of universal salvation and well, eventually everybody's going to get to go to heaven, 
then think about what that does to our lives here on earth. It negates love, first of all, um, because you get the beatific vision whether you love God or not. Okay, so you're negating love by making the argument that everybody eventually gets to heaven. And think about what it does in terms of just the moral life for all of us alive here on earth. Well, if, if everybody eventually gets to heaven, well then just do whatever the hell you want, right? There's no, re there's no moral constriction in any way against any behavior. You can engage in child pornography. You can engage in all of these horrific, terrible things. You can engage in mass murder. You can engage in mass theft. You can engage in crimes against humanity. What the hell? It doesn't matter. If everybody is eventually going to end up in heaven, there's no reason not to engage in any sort of despicable whim that might, that might enter your mind. So if you just stop and think about it logically, yes, hell has to exist and it has to be eternal. And it, ha it has to be all of those things because God, God loves us. And there has to be justice and, and there has to be truth and there has to be a logical coherence to everything. Um, if you want, if you want to join a false religion that is completely irrational and has logical coherence, might I strongly recommend to you that you become a musloid because that is the most irrational, incoherent, illogical, ridiculous, nonsensical, internally contradictory, uh, uh, false religion masquerading as a political system that there is on earth. That's all. I was waiting for more. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, I, I thought you were winding up to to go for another five minutes there, talking about uh, Muslims, etc. I, I was thinking, while it sounds like sort of a downer note in the podcast, on there's also the the comment that uh, God always gives us the grace to do the right thing, and will always give us the the inspirations or the the the. I was gonna say coworkers, the the neighbors or or, or other people to help with this. Um, if you yes. if, if you're hearing what Anne's saying and you and you don't know and you want to you want to investigate this some more, there are a lot of people out there. Um, ironically, one of the best places to find them is go to an abortion clinic and find the ones who are, that are carrying a, a rosary. Yeah, that's where you're gonna find serious Catholics who actually know what they're doing and why they're there. There's always, always, always a path forward. Always. No matter what you do, no matter what you have done, as long as you're still alive, there is a path forward. There's a way for you to get right. There's a way for you to get to heaven, always, by definition. So that's, again, the sin of despair. And I think that's one of the reasons why, um, like, for example, with sodomy, that Satan has made this tremendous, huge push in the last 50 plus years to have this phenomenon of people coming out as gay. Um, there's no such thing as a homosexual human being. I mean, ch check, the, check the manual, folks. It's tab A into slot B. There's, there's no such thing as a, as a homosexual human being or, in, or any other animal. Um, not that we're animals, we're body persons, but you know what I'm saying. Um, there's no such thing as homosexual. So this business of trying to trick people into declaring themselves as intrinsic to their being of being something that literally doesn't exist that is a homosexual um 
and then defining themselves by this and doing it publicly. Because before, understand, sodomy is a vice. It's a generally habitual. It's a bad, it's a horrific, terrible habit that some people tragically have fallen into. Up until about 50, 60 years ago, um, when speaking for Catholics here, the, the way you handled that is that you went to confession, you confessed the sin of doing it, and then it was over with, you know, and, and not to trivialize it, but you could, you could also say the same thing about, about, you know, chewing your fingernails. You can make the decision to stop chewing your fingernails. You can make the decision to stop engaging in sodomy. You can make the decision to stop engaging in self-abuse. Um, you can make the decision to stop doing these things, but you're not defined. Your, your humanity is not defined by, by engaging in sodomy any more than it is defined by the fact that you might chew your fingernails, not to trivialize sodomy, not, but I want to make that rhetorical point that you're not defined by these things. That's the great trick of this whole LGB whatever movement of the past 50, 60 years is trying to get people publicly coming out, no pun intended, you see, coming out and saying, I am this sin, and then be feeling like they're unable to ever walk it back. And we're seeing that ex, so-called ex-gay, anyone who, who says, look, I, I used to engage in sodomy and then I confess my sins and I amended my life and I want to help other people who might be stuck in the sin of in the lifestyle of sodomy to do the same and to leave it behind them and to, to stop this terrible habitual practice of sin that they're in. These people are being persecuted viciously. Um, in fact, there are many, many places now where they have either already passed laws attempting to criminalize ex-gay ministries or there's strong movements trying to get all this criminalized that you're not even allowed as a person who has stopped engaging in sodomy to say i've stopped i've left the gay lifestyle behind me they're trying to criminalize it and i'm sure everybody in the listenership knows what the next point is is the whole trans thing they are going after viciously people who have been tricked into mutilating themselves or have been mutilated by doctors and their parents or whoever or teachers or whoever it is said this was a horrible mistake have gone and you know taken steps to undo the mutilation and they are going after those people like crazy like to the point that some of them are in fear for their lives some of the so-called detransitioners are literally in fear of their lives from this this sickening cross-dressing drag community um and it's it's just trying to get people to a point of despair where they think that there's no path forward for them and that's a lie no matter what you have done there is always always a path forward hell is not locked in so long as you are drawing breath you can repent you can get right with God. You can enter the church if you're not in. You can take these steps and you can do these things. And even if you're in a situation like, for example, you're on a plane and the plane is going down, um, you can make an act of perfect contrition. You can make an act of perfect contrition in the moments, even the seconds 
before your death. Now, you don't, you don't game the system like that because God is not gamed. Don't think that you can get away with that. Don't, don't think, um, um, who was it? Oh, I know who it was. Someone, uh, Sting, the pop singer Sting. He went and anti-Pope Bergoglio was throwing concerts before the, the corona scam started in the Sistine Chapel. And one of the people that was called to the Sistine Chapel to have a concert which is completely disgusting, is the pop singer Sting. And someone in the in the Catholic media interviewed him. And he's a, he's a lapsed Catholic. He was born and raised and received all the sacraments as a child, of course. Um, and they said, well, you're, are you practicing? What's your plan? And Sting said openly, my, my plan is to live my life, do whatever I want to do, and then receive the sacraments on my deathbed. Like, oh, Oh boy, that is not good. Because even if, if you do, if you were to receive the sacraments on your deathbed, but your entire motivation is that you are going to attempt to legally, legally force our Lord to let you into heaven, like, like it's contract law or something. Um, yeah, I'm going. I'm going to completely betray you and hurt you and um, ignore you and not love you, Lord. But then, by golly, because a priest came and and I got the the last rites on my deathbed. Well, you have to let me in. Well, it doesn't. It's not going to work like that either. You, he's not gamed. He's God. You can't you can't play him. You can't manipulate him. He knows your heart better than you know your heart. And if you try to game him like that, and you think you're going to get through your particular judgment like that, you're sorely mistaken. Having said that, if you are in a situation where you are about to die. Yes, you absolutely should should make an act of perfect contrition and be sorry. Think about your life. Think about the things that you've done. Know what the moral law is and and be be genuinely sorry for all of the things that you have done in your life. Yeah, there's a possibility. He he can work with almost anything. He's God. Give him, give him just a little tiny bit to work with. And, and there are some pretty miraculous or very amazing stories about people who it, who it has been revealed have, been, have made it through. Um, and God can, God can work with a very little teeny tiny bit, but you've got to give him something to work with. If you don't give him anything to work with, legalism is not going to get you through. Deathbed confessions are real or deathbed conversions are real, but they're also yes. rare. Yes. And if you aren't prepared for death ahead of time, the the chances that you could have a, a an unprovided death, that's gonna sting well, no pun intended, that's gonna sting eternally. Yeah. Exactly. I mean talk about talk about gambling. It's it's it, but it isn't even gambling. Gambling is pure chance. Um uh, it's it's more than that. It's it's worse than that. Like I said, it's it's trying it's trying to game the system. Except the system is a person, and the person is the creator and sustainer of the universe. And this is this is a ridiculous ridiculous um, uh, strategy, patently ridiculous. He gave us the church and he gave us the sacraments so that we could be in, so we could know, so we could continue to advance, hopefully, in sanctity with each day that we're allowed to be alive here on earth. 
Um, why would you not avail yourself of that? Why would you freely choose to continue to wallow in sin? Um, why would you freely choose to continue to hurt him? It's, uh, it doesn't make any sense. And if you're planning to wait for the last minute and you live in Ireland where no priests were ordained this year, there might be a, a slight problem of availability. Yeah. So plan ahead. Yep. Yep. You know, I thought this was going to be a, a half episode that we would probably go uh, yeah. 35, 45 minutes. <laughs> We're at um, an hour 40. Every time. Yeah. Every time we say, oh, we don't have anything to talk about. I, I, literally, <laughs> had, I literally had nothing in my outline when, when we started the, the pre-show chat and, <laughs> and was trying to figure out, okay, what are the topics to talk about? And yeah, okay, uh, hour and 40 minutes later, we're, we're finally ready to wrap up. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll go ahead and do that now unless you had something else to say. No, sir. Go right ahead. The email address for the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, uh, or other good news items for wrapping up the podcast. The email address is podcast at barnhart.biz and expresses her profound gratitude to all of her benefactors. And for all those benefactors, every single day there is a traditional Catholic Latin mass said for your intentions. In addition, everyone who died in the previous week whether it's, um, well, this may not be the last week. I'm going to mention a couple of names here. Sinead O'Connor or Pee Wee Herman, two notable people who, at least in American show business or international show business, who died recently. Two tragic figures, actually. <laughs> yeah. For, yeah. For those who are more technically inclined, um, Brand Molinar finally exited Vim. So he, he also, uh, a, a traditional Catholic Latin Requiem Mass was said for him and all everyone else who died in this previous week. Please pray for the priests. I just made the comment. Uh, mm -hmm. If you're planning to wait till the till your deathbed to call the priest in and and get the sacraments, um, there's a problem of it, of availability right now. And and even though vocations are up in the trad world, uh, in the traditional Catholic world, that still isn't to the point where we can put a priest on every single block. Where back in exactly back yeah. in the height of Catholicism, uh, the the priest to uh, people ratio was pretty high as opposed to one for every 33,000. Actually, that might yeah. be optimistic in the United States these days. And, and we have some of the highest priest numbers in the world, ironically. Uh, one to 33,000 might be optimistic. I don't know. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. So pray yeah. for the priests. Pray for pray for young men who who um, that they will be open to the priesthood and answer that call. And that they are able to answer the call. Talking about all of the... Uh, the vice and, and the, the sins of the world these days. Uh, traditionally speaking, if, if you have attachment to any kind of sin, especially sins against the sixth commandment, you're automatically disqualified from the from the seminary. This is part. This is supposed to be part of the, the screening process. Absolutely. Um, traditionally speaking, um, that's the kind of thing where if you yeah, answer, uh, when it, a young man enters the seminary, the formation director should ask him, "Son, do you like girls?" And there is exactly one correct answer to that. Yes. Yes, I do like girls. So, son, what would you be doing if you weren't pursuing the priesthood? It would be, I would be trying to find a wife and get married and have children. That is, that's basically the only correct answer to that. And this whole notion that seminaries are a dumping ground for people with, with intense psychosexual problems is just, is a total, total lie. Um, any, any like super nerd said any six commandment issue whatsoever it should be a disqualifier well in terms of uh who's called i i stress this to my sons it's like I, I don't know what your vocation is but you need to be a you need to be prepared to answer the call if you're called to be a priest 
in the same mm-hmm. sense that if you're in the, well, Marines are probably universally capable of this. If you're in the army, you need to be ready to be tapped for some kind of special mission that, that is going to, you know, take you to the limits of your training and possibly beyond. If you are a fat cook and you just don't pay attention to all that military stuff, you're not going to be qualified. And even if you were supposed to be called and tapped, you're going to get passed over. And spiritually speaking, mm-hmm. if, if, you know, God knows who he was going to call from all eternity for the priesthood. And sadly, these days, there are a lot who would have gotten the call, but they aren't qualified. And when I say get the call, it's not like, it's not like God's going to send you a telegram. You know, God whispers us, yeah. whispers his will to us in our soul and, and talking about noise. That's why it's so important to practice silence. You, you, you don't hear yeah. God's voice talking to you if you have, you know, constant, you know, Father Martin DJ music going on or all the other kind of noise of the world. And it doesn't even have to be sonic noise. It can just be massive input of information. If you're constantly reading uh, news headlines or, or uh, toilet scrolling on Twitter or something like that, you, you've got to have time to have silence of the mind, to, to mm-hmm. contemplate and meditate and have that active um, silent prayer. That's where you're going to find you're going to find answers to, to a lot of things, but that's also where you're going to hear a call to a vocation. So, and again, if there, if there are secular listeners coming over from no agenda or anywhere else, just to make, make it clear, we're not saying super nerd and I are not saying that we literally hear voices. We do not, I do not hear Jesus's voice or the voice of the Holy ghost, you know, speaking to me, what we're taught, we're speaking somewhat figuratively and just, you know, these, these movements inside, inside of your soul, which then are translated up into your brain and into your intellect that, you know, these indications of, of what you should be doing, or, you know, what is correct the discernment of things that are going on around you. Um, so don't think that we're, we're over here saying that, you don't have a relationship with God unless you're literally hearing voices, because in fact, that's very, very, very rare for people to literally hear voices or literally see things. Um, and, and that's that's reserved only for people of, of tremendous sanctity, because really only people of tremendous sanctity can handle something as intense as that. Again, again God is a complete gentleman, and so he's not going to he's not going to like overwhelm us with anything like that. Me personally, I've, I've talked about this before on the, on the podcast. If I were to see something or to hear a voice or anything like that, I would first sprint to the confessional. And then, then after I got out of the confessional and, you know, told, told a priest in the confessional within the sacrament, what had happened, I would then go to a hospital and present myself and say, I heard a voice or I saw something and I want to have a CAT scan and I want to have a full neuro- neurological workup done because I want to make, I want to rule out the fact that maybe I have a brain tumor or something like that. It would be terrifying. It would be absolutely terrifying if you were actually hearing or seeing um, something like that. And if you look at, at the history of the saints who have actually <laughs> seen things and had visions and had apparitions or locutions or anything like that, across the board, the first reaction that they have is that they're terrified. And that is the correct human response. You know, kind of don't trust yourself, wait a minute. Or could this be a demon manifesting itself to me? Um, and, and funny, funny, but true little pro tip, if you were ever to see anything, they say that you should always look at the feet because for some reason, um, 
when Satan is playing games and the demons are playing games that they have a hard time uh, disguising their feet. So you'll, you'll like, for example, if you were to see a beautiful, radiant, gorgeous, gorgeous woman, and then if you had the presence of mind to look down and look at her feet and she would have hooves, she would have goat hooves or something like that. So, but I know that sounds, that sounds weird and, and out there, but it's something like that. But I, boy, I don't know at this point, I don't know if I would say it. God, God should do whatever he wants. And certainly he should do whatever he wants with me. But like I said, I would be absolutely terrified if something like that happened to me. So just making that point of clarification. Yes, there are many spirits who can communicate with humans. They're just not doing it through the Holy Spirit. That's all. Yeah. Um, let's see. I made the general call for to pray for the priests and also talking about um, be open to the call for the priest if you're in that state of life at, or where you have not... Um, where your vocation is not locked in. Uh, let's see. <laughs> I got myself off, off track on my own notes here. Oh, here at the, at the uh, Barnhart podcast, we have an informal patron, uh, Saint, no formal patron, St. Tiny princess, who was my daughter. She was born with a severe genetic condition, baptized, confirmed, and then was with us for under a year. Um, she had never had the opportunity to commit any personal sins. Uh, she's in the beautiful vision. No question about that. Uh, don't don't yeah. fail to call on her. We don't have any tiny testimonials this time, but um, I got a donation referencing it to somebody who who really likes that little segment. We don't we don't have one this time, but uh, maybe next time. Uh, the Barnhart Podcast. If you are coming over from the No Agenda Podcast, you'll you'll recognize the formula here. Uh, the Barnhart Podcast is a value for value podcast. If you got some value out of this, whether it's entertainment, education, preparation advice for what you don't want to wait for until your deathbed, please consider returning some value and only you can determine how much that's worth. And to do that, go over to supernerdmedia.com. And since the last podcast, I want to recognize a few donors uh, via the mailbox. Michelle sent some uh, devotional materials materials. It was the Holy face uh, devotion. I think I sent you the note on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Awesome materials there. Uh, in fact, I should probably, s- I, I will put a link to this uh, to where you can, learn more about this um, or scan the, the materials. I'll put a link in the show notes uh, so that you can find out more about this as well via the web. Now that um, the, the ability to make electronic payments is back on, I want to thank some people, uh, the anonymous international donor that I mentioned in the last podcast who tried to uh, make a donation, but um, I, I made uh, the yeah. joke that there mm-hmm. might've been uh, some social credit score in play because of the country where they are. Um, I guess mm-hmm. not. Uh, not only did they get one through, they got two uh, donations through using different means. Oh, so nice. that was that was kind of interesting. And and they send the note. Thank you to Anne. Thank thanks to you and Anne for another much valued podcast, which makes my long trips um, long trips home far more enjoyable. Well, you're welcome. Aww. And we have a very long podcast to <laughs> very long trips, even though we didn't really Indeed. have an outline. <laughs> uh, also, Eileen. Richard says, I've been saddled with expenses, but I'm raising a strong Christian teenager. Amen. Uh, Guy says, he likes the story about St. Tiny Princess helping out, helping the swimmer cut seven seconds off their time. And like I mentioned on the last podcast, St. <laughs> Tiny Princess, like all, all of her siblings except one, was born in the water. So there's there's the, there's the reason to call on her when it comes to aquatic activity. Um, <laughs> Sir Mikey Boss, the Irish Catholic Sinner. <laughs> That's the name of this donor. 
Wow. Uh, he, he well, it, that it is a nickname. Uh, he made a donation. A, a, he made a Barnhart donation to the most recent uh, No Agenda episode and gave a shout out to Super Nerd yeah. and Ian on the podcast and thanking us for hitting him in the mouth, which is a No Agenda ism. Um, and I think that I, I, have, I haven't been keeping count, but I think this brings to at least six the number of um, members of the roundtable who listen to the Barnhart podcast. Um, I'm not going to enumerate who those are. You'll have to let me know. Uh, but I, I wasn't. It's not like I was keeping. Uh, not like I was calling a roll or anything like that. And also, <laughs> and also, Loretta, thank you for the insights. And uh, via the podcasting 2.0 mechanism, uh, somebody sent a 500 sat boost via the Fountain app. I didn't notice this before the last podcast. It was back in the end of July, uh, before we recorded um, 192. So it, I, I didn't notice. Uh, in part because the the, mech, the automated mechanism that I'm supposed to get messages when when the boosts happen that was turned off, but it's back on now. Verified it's working, so I should get notifications on that going forward. And if you have no idea about this uh, and you're not already into uh, podcasting 2.0, don't worry about it. This is like like Turbo Nerd Zone, so don't don't need to worry <laughs> about it. But if you do want to learn more about it, email me and I can tell you more, or just go get the Fountain app or Podverse. Uh, go to newpodcastapps.com. You can find out what apps you can use to play along with that. And after an hour and almost 50 minutes, I can finally say over to you for Matthew 1712. 1720. Um, we pray every day without ceasing. And if you can, twice a week, fast. Our fourfold intention, called the Matthew 1720 intention, is that Bergoglio be publicly um, recognized and removed as anti pope and that the whole Bergolian anti-papacy be nullified, that Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope from April of 2005 until his death on December 31st, 2022, and for the Petrine Sea in and of itself, for its integrity and um, its continuity and continuance according to God's will, um, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace and someday achieve the beatific vision and for the repose of the soul of Pope Benedict Ratzinger, our lady of Copacabana pray for us. Amen. And I looked over at my clock to see where we were and it, it was at one twelve. That's why I said 1712. No, in my notes, it says 1720. Uh, and I, I knew that it's just that I got distracted because I was trying to read and talk at the same time. And nah, you Catholics, you don't know the Bible. So. <laughs> Chapter and verse, baby. Chapter and verse. <laughs> there's there's sad truth to that, unfortunately. Well, until next time, I'm going to go off and read the Bible some. I'm Super Nerd. And I'm Ann. Thanks, guys. God bless. God bless you, Adam Curry. God bless you.